This episode is brought to you by Capable Weighted Products. Capable's exclusive smart weight solutions provide caregivers and their loved ones with the calming effects of deep touch pressure. Discover how Capable's beautiful weighted blankets help you sleep all night and stylish wearables that provide sensory input throughout the day. Buy now at capable.com. That's cape spelled with an E, abble.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to the last episode of the year of Coffee with Caregivers. I'm your host, Jess Ronnie, and today I'm excited to introduce to you Crystal Payne. But for those who aren't aware, I take the summers off around here, and we are three days. It feels like three years. We are three days into summer break over here. And I feel emotionally dead. I'm not going to lie. Um, I am used to peace and quiet during my work days. I work from home. And the first week or two of summer break is always a little bit hairy as I get used to my children being in my workspace and my children get used to me being in their play space and we try to somehow mesh these two very separate spaces um that we both typically operate out of and ryan says to me every year when i'm like honey i can't do this he's like honey you say this every single summer like the first week or two you're working the kinks out they're working the kinks out we're all like getting familiar with one another again you will be fine and by the end of summer almost every single year I'm turning to my husband and going maybe we should homeschool this was so lovely (laughs) so he reminded me of that but that's where we're at today we are three days in and the boredom and the bickering runneth thick over here in Ronnie world today what do we have going on? What do I have going on? The Lucas Project has partnered with A Kid Again. Look them up, akidagain.org. They offer free activities for special needs families. We have participated in one of their activities for the past two years at Michigan's Adventure, which is like the Michigan equivalent of Cedar Point, but not quite as big. And they make these events incredible. It's all free. They provide this huge spread for lunch. They give you free gift cards to spend in the gift shops. And they have asked the Lucas Project to provide every family attending one of their events a free care package. This is huge. So our first event is June 19, and we are providing 400 and I believe 30 care packages And we do have the supplies for this event, but our next event will be September 30th at the Grand Rapids Public Museum. And they are anticipating another 500 families and they want us to supply another 500 care packages. So if you are a business who wants to partner with us and sponsor a couple care packages or offer a product like a pen or a magnet or a journal or a notepad with your logo on it it's an awesome marketing opportunity 
and an awesome opportunity to show these parent caregivers that we see you, we appreciate you, we acknowledge the hard and holy work that you're doing, and here is a token of our gratitude and appreciation. So if you're a business or an individual or even a nonprofit that maybe serves special needs families and you have some sort of marketing paraphernalia that you would want to contribute to these care packages, please reach out. You can email us at info at thelucasproject.org and we would be happy to explore possibilities with you. Also, we have received about $100,000 of the funding required for our in-person respite center here in Michigan. Um, I would say we're about 50000 short and God willing, we will start construction on that facility. And finally, by the time this episode releases, I think I will have signed a contract for a fourth book that I will be writing. So I'm really excited to share more about that in the fall because it will have for sure been signed by then and I'll be free to give you a few more details. But in the meantime, if you haven't read any of my books, I would love it if you would check them out. Sunlight Burning at Midnight, Blended with Grit and Grace, Loving with Grit and Grace. If you have read them, I would love it and be so appreciative if you would leave a review. Reviews are huge in the author world. It's the way we gain traction and recognition, especially on Amazon. And I would just be very grateful if you could do that. Alrighty. Now, diving into this episode, like I mentioned, I am interviewing the one and only Crystal Payne, otherwise known as the money-saving mom. She is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, the host of The Crystal Payne Show, and the founder of one of the top personal finance blogs on the web, moneysavingmom.com. Her desire is to help women across the globe live with more joy in their everyday lives. Her biggest passions are helping women understand how the gospel can radically transform their lives, raising awareness for foster care and finding great deals at the grocery store. She lives with her husband and six kids in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And the reason that Crystal is on my podcast is that Crystal recently became a mom to a little guy who has disabilities. She and her family were fostering him for a while, and then that opportunity turned into an adoption. And she has become a special needs mama. And she was very happy to share her story. She was happy to talk about different methods that she uses to prioritize different areas of her life. And it was just a really wonderful, uplifting conversation that I just know you are going to love. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. And if you want to stay connected with all the things that I have going on, as always, head to justplussthemess.com. And also, I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. So rate, review, leave a comment. It all helps us out immensely. And now, introducing Crystal Payne. Hi, Crystal. Welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled that you can join me today. And, you know, I've been following you for years as the money-saving mom. I'm a mom with eight children, so I'm always 
on the lookout for great steals and deals and how to save some money and um, didn't really know your story until I bought your latest book, The Time Saving Mom, and was just thrilled to discover that we have a lot of similarities, um, just, you know, homeschool backgrounds and raised with a lot of systems that we've sort of incorporated with our children. And as we begin, I'd just like you to kind of give an overview of your life for my listeners and what you do and who you live with and what makes you a caregiver. So my husband and I have been married for 20 years. We live in the Nashville, Tennessee area, and we have six kids. They are um, 18, 15, 13. Then we had 10 years of secondary infertility. And then we have a two and a half year old, a two and a half year old, and an almost 10 month old. And during our secondary infertility journey, um, just grieving the loss of what we thought our family was going to look like because we wanted to have a lot of kids and um, just really seeking the Lord of what is like, what do you have for us? Because we have this space in our hearts and space in our home. And um, he opened up the door for foster care. And so we started in on that journey. And as we got to the end of um, our foster care licensing process, it was actually the very last week of our home study walkthrough. I was feeling all sorts of weird symptoms. And I actually thought it was uh Maybe I was going into early menopause, but uh, we ended up taking a pregnancy test just to kind of rule that out. And it was positive. And so that was the shock of our lives, but we were still journeying in this foster care journey. And so really felt like we were supposed to continue on with that. So we ended up saying yes to a brand new baby boy from the NICU four weeks before our biological daughter was born. And we had him in our home for eight and a half months. Um, and he had medical complexities, not extremely significant, but it was more than we'd ever dealt with with our biological children. And so we learned a lot from that process and grew a lot. He then reunified with his mom eight and a half months later. That was a really beautiful, also really brutal sort of thing of just handing over this little boy that you have cared for as your own on behalf of his mom for eight and a half months. And then to not know, you know, there's a lot of unknowns with that. Um, we got to continue on babysitting for him um, for the last two years and be involved in his life and he's thriving. But three months after he reunified, then um, we said yes to a call that came out of the blue, like they often do with foster care for a little boy who was almost eight months old. And um, they said he had Down syndrome and a cleft lip. They also said he had a feeding tube. And we didn't know really anything about any of those things, but we just felt very strongly in our hearts that we were supposed to say yes. And so they dropped him off in the middle of the night, as often happens with foster care. And he came with all these boxes of medical supplies, feeding pump, um, and no instructions. Uh, the, <laughs> the social worker who dropped him off, she's like, I don't really know a lot. I know he's supposed to be working with a lot of specialists. We don't have that information. Um, we're going to try to get that for you. But here he is. And I'm we started first. <laughs> And in that 10 minute exchange, I just knew right away I'm in over my head because he wasn't, I was thinking, you know, okay, eight months old, uh, down syndrome, cleft lip. Um, he's probably going to be somewhat developmentally delayed. And I was just not prepared for him to be in zero to six, zero to three month close and to barely be able to hold his head up and be very lethargic. And then I also realized right away, oh, he doesn't just have a cleft lip. He has a full cleft palate. And I didn't know at the time kind of what 
what that meant. And there's a lot of extra things that come along with that. And so we just got a really fast crash course in all things Down syndrome and feeding tube and cleft lip palate. He ended up having a surgery less than four weeks later to repair his lip and had a really hard time with that surgery coming out of anesthesia. And um, they ended up hospitalizing him for um, longer than they were expecting to just, um, and we ran a lot of tests because there were other things that were showing up. And it was just a season of a lot of unknowns and it was scary. And there were so many words that were being thrown around that I had no idea what it meant. And we had to Google and ask for a lot of help. And the nurses and doctors were just so incredibly helpful to come alongside us. I remember we didn't know, like, how do you do a feeding tube? And, but he had to eat. And so I had to kind of figure this thing out and I didn't want to give him the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And I remember we took him into the, we were able to get an appointment um, at the hospital here with um, the pediatric surgeons to look at his G-tube because we just felt like something didn't look right. And they were like, who put this in? And then they're asking us all these questions. We're like, we don't know. We don't have any idea. And then they realized, they were like, did they not give you a class on this? So I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it has been a journey. Um, so he has uh, he came in March of 2021, and okay. um, we ended up adopting him December of uh, 2022. And he's just been such a gift to our home. He, like I said, he's two and a half. And then um, four weeks after we said yes to adopting him, it, the adoption process takes a while as it typically does. And so that was back in, um, I think September of 2021, we found out we were expecting. Um, so now our now 10 month old Micah. So life has a way of taking twists and turns that you never envision. Um, I never would have seen myself as being kind of a full-time caregiver, special needs mama, medical mama, whatever you want right. to call it, and spend a lot of my day going to therapies and talking to specialists and um, using words and language that, you know, I think nurses typically do. And, um, you know, just learning so much, but he has ultimately just been such a gift and taught us so much. And we have learned and grown so much through his life. And we're just so grateful to get the gift of having him in our home. Yeah, it's funny how those kids will do that. I often say that about my Luke too, has taught me more than any man or woman behind the pulpit ever has. Um, but that doesn't diminish the heart either. And so you're you're about two years in, it sounds like, from the adoption. Um, what's his name? Did you mention his name? His name is David Mateo. Okay. He He's Guatemalan. So his mom, we we kept his, um, we actually have had the privilege of getting to know his mom. She's the sweetest woman and really good mom just because of a lot of um, different things. She can't speak English, can't read or write Spanish. She speaks a local Guatemalan dialect and can't drive, lives far away from any of the hospitals, doesn't understand. She only has, I think, four months of schooling and so just does not understand any of the medical things and it's just really overwhelming to her. So um, I'm just grateful that we have the opportunity to continue on the relationship with her, but we wanted to honor her by keeping his name that she gave him. So it's it was David Mateo. And so we had called him um, David Mateo. So. And what are his diagnoses? He has Down syndrome and then um, cleft lip palate. Um, he also um, came with significant hearing loss. They thought he was almost, he was, he failed all of his hearing tests. They thought he was probably going to be 
basically fully deaf, but then he was able to, they got tubes in his ears. They didn't think they were going to be able to, and he is now hearing almost normally in one ear and completely normally in the other ear. So that was just a huge blessing. Um, he still has some things with that though. And um, then he also has, like I said, the G-tube and they think they initially thought that he had um, hypothyroidism, but now they're thinking that maybe he just like didn't test very well on his scans initially because he was born at 27 weeks. Um, so anyway, but yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Those things change a lot through the years too. You initially hear like never, never, never. And then it's like, oh, wow, we have no explanation for this, but great for you guys type of yes. thing. Um, how do his needs affect your life and your family's life? Um, has has him coming into your life really brought a change of pace or haven't you noticed that big of a difference? You know, I think that we look back and see how we were kind of prepared with fostering the little boy that I said that we fostered for eight and a half months because he had some therapies and some doctor's appointments and needed to have a little bit more hands-on care. And so I, I look back and I see how we were kind of prepped for that. So whenever we said yes to David, we had kind of had a little bit of experience with that. And so I, I it wasn't quite as just overwhelming, especially because we kind of had already worked with the Tennessee Early Intervention Services and kind of knew that sort of system and what we needed there and all of that and had worked with some specialists and stuff. But um, I would say on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, there's usually, you know, it's not uncommon that it'll have at least four, sometimes six appointments in a week. So that's, you know, something that takes some time. Um, and then also just figuring out all of the, I would say multiple times a week, we need to talk to a specialist because there's something wrong with something, you know, or he's showing signs of something that we're not really sure this is something to be concerned about, or this is just normal. And then also just, you know, prepping his formula and doing his meds and um, just making sure that he has his feeds and that just tracking all of those things. He's still struggling to gain weight because he was so malnourished when he came to us. And so there are lots of little things at this point, it feels just normal. It just feels a normal part of our life. But in the beginning, it was very overwhelming because there were just so many things to learn all at once. Mm -hmm. And you've talked a little bit. I can't remember if it's in your book or on maybe a social media post. Your older children were at first a little resistant about the idea. Can you talk about kind of their journey towards acceptance and where they're at today? Yes. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting because when we said yes to him, my husband and two older daughters were actually away on a school trip. And so I was barely able to have a conversation with my husband because he was chaperoning this high school trip. I got through to him and I said, Hey, they DCS called us about this. How do you feel? And he just, just said, yes. Like it was just like really <laughs> confident. Both yes. And so at that, I just felt like, okay, I'm going to trust that he's feeling that. And I'm feeling that for some reason we're supposed to say yes, but we were really feeling like it was yes for a few months. That was kind of how they made it sound like it was going to be. And so it was a lot at first for, for my husband and for our, I, I would say, especially our older two daughters, because 
one, they weren't there when he first came. Um, so I think there was those first five days or so that I attached that they weren't a part of. But then also he st- had still had his cleft lip and palate that hadn't been repaired. So, you know, he just looked different and he kind of, you know, was always having this bubbly foam kind of come out of his mouth and he would make very interesting sounds and he wasn't very responsive. And so it wasn't like, you could really play and interact with him much because he just didn't interact that much. And so I think it was also, it it brought up some of the grief that they felt when we had said goodbye to the boy that we had fostered. I think they, there was a lot that came up that we realized we hadn't processed through. And so this new little baby boy in our home kind of dredged up some of that that needed to be processed through as well. And so I remember, I think it had been about two weeks that we had had him here. And um, I just sat the family down and I was like, I need you guys to all be on board with this. I can't take care of all of his needs on my own. And I think there was the resistance. Some of it was coming from that grief. It was like, if we don't, we don't want to get close to him because the last time we got close and we had to say goodbye. And so we don't want to do that again. And I was just like, I don't have enough love to go around for everyone. And I need y'all to come on board and give some more love here. And I know it's hard. Um, and I know he is different than the other little boy we had, but he's sweet. And, you know, let's just all come alongside and love him because that's what he needs right now. And it's just been really cool to see the change in them because, you know, there was that this is different and this is awkward. And I don't know what I think about this. And I don't think, you know, right off the bat, there was one of our kids who was like, we can't adopt him. I can't do that. Like, I just can't even picture that. And just seeing the change in their hearts over time. And now they are fiercely protective of him and they are so proud of him and love him so much and have just learned how to interact with him in a way that he brings so much joy. And we talk often about how it's not what he does. And we've learned so much about how society kind of puts a lot of value on a on a child being on a certain trajectory, like oh, yeah. walking, talking, you know, these are things that it's like, that's success. And that's what everyone is constantly like, is he going to talk? You know, what, how's he doing? How's he improving? And, and we've just learned that there's so much joy that he brings with just being like, being it's him, just changed right. our whole perspective on what success is for a person. And like, for him to just He just brings joy to our home and he slows us down in the most beautiful of ways. And he causes us to celebrate every little thing. You know, this morning he got the little toy piano out. He loves to play the little toy piano. He, he problem solved and figured out how to get it out of the toy pile. And then he sat it on the ground and then he started, um, kind of fussing and looking at me and he was telling me like he wanted me to turn it on because it wasn't on. He was trying to play it. It wasn't making noise. And I was so excited about that because it was like all the problem solving, all the intentionality of that, of him then being able to recognize it's not playing. I need to ask mom and I need to indicate to her that I want it to be turned on. And so those types of things that, you know, with, with my typically developing children, I would never even really think of. It's just like, oh, but with him, every little thing is something to be celebrated. And it's just, it's caused us to become noticers of things that we never were before. 
Oh yeah, those kids have a remarkable ability to help keep you present. And I love that you gave your kids space to even grieve and work through their own process of this new individual in their life. I I come from a large family as well, 12 children, and we adopted, my parents adopted four children as well. And it was a process to get to this point of acceptance and the realization of, okay, so we're now not a, a sibling group of eight, we're a sibling group of 12. Um, and even in, in my family with eight kids, we get that question often because Luke has such profound disabilities. Like how can you give your other typical children the one-on-one -on -one attention that they need? And at first I used to get really resentful about that. Um, and then I just decided to respond, well, we operate in a team. We operate as a team. And when one of us is down, which is often Lucas, he needs more support and care because he's profoundly disabled. We all rally around and we help him just like we would do that with any other child. And I don't think that's a lesser than story that these siblings are being raised with because there's somebody who requires so much care and attention within the home. And I just love hearing that, you know, the siblings rallied around David and now they're completely on board. And I just think that's such a beautiful reminder of God's love for us too. Capable was inspired by an adoptive mom to a daughter with special needs. She understands caregivers are living on high alert with vulnerable nervous systems. To provide relief, she designed capable, smart-weighted products which use less weight more effectively so caregivers and their loved ones can experience felt safety, comfort, and connection. I personally love my capable soft, plush, weighted blanket, which rarely leaves my lap when I'm in my favorite chair. And the shoulder wrap relieves tension while I slowly wake up in the morning with my coffee and a good book. These are simple and effective ways I can easily care for myself as a busy mom and as a caregiver to a disabled son. If you also want true relaxation, Capable is now offering a 15% discount on any product to my listeners. Simply enter the code CARE15, that's C-A-R-E 15 at checkout. You will be investing in your well-being because, as I always say, the child is only as healthy as the caregiver. Give yourself a drop of hope and care today. Visit capable.com. That's cape spelled with an E, bubble.com. Or follow along on Facebook or Instagram. So to recap here, you have currently three teenagers, is that correct? Yes. Two two and a half year olds and a 10 month old. Yes. How do you do it all? <laughs> I, I know um, I get this question often too, but you have some awesome strategies that you talk about in your book. Um, and in particular, you teach readers a four-step system. I'm just wondering if you can kind of break this down a little bit, because I think the caregivers who listen to my podcast would be extremely interested to learn how you do juggle all these things because you're an author, you're a podcaster, you're a blogger. 
um, you have all these children and young children, like my youngest is seven. So we're kind of out of the weeds at this point. So just break this down for us. Tell us what these systems are and how can we incorporate them into our lives? Well, you know, it's been interesting to have the three, the three older kids and to kind of go through the years of having three little ones and then now they're teenagers and to be starting in on this journey again, you know, my husband and I look at each other, we're like, what were we thinking? Like, are we crazy? Four years of parenting, (laughs) (laughs) but um, keeps us young. But also I think it's this gift of, I get to kind of have this do over in a sense. And I feel like with our older three, I was so focused on results. I was so focused on getting everything right. And I missed so much of just enjoying them. And so this, you know, with three little ones again, to just get to spend so much more time enjoying them. But the four-step system is just, you know, I try to keep things simple. And so first off, it's prayer. And it's starting from that posture of prayer. And I don't know where you know your listeners are and um, when it comes to you know their spiritual lives, but just for me as a Christian, starting my day from that understanding of I need Jesus. Like I cannot do this in and of my own strength and do it well and do it from a place and space of peace and joy. And so in the book, I talk about what it looks like to start my day praying over the details of my day. And so whatever I have, whether it's a therapy appointment, whether it is, you know, this morning I had a call with the school system and just really trying to, you know, see what path we're going to take for David because he's getting, he's going to be three soon. Um, whether it's a conversation that I need to have with an older child, you know, whether it's an article to write, a podcast to do, what, whatever it is that I have on my plate that day and on my schedule, just praying over that, inviting God in to give me the strength and the grace that I need. And oftentimes I will be up multiple times a night. I think that's probably a fairly common thing if you have a child who has special needs. Um, David oftentimes wakes up in the night because of he struggles with breathing. We're getting ready to a sleep study with him because I think there's some things going on that he might have sleep apnea or something. And so, you know, you're woken up multiple times in the night. And so you wake up and you're just really feeling like, I don't have what it takes to do today. And just praying, God, multiply my sleep, multiply my energy, give me what I need to do today. And so starting from that posture of prayer and then going throughout my day, uh, shooting up flare prayers, as I call them, you know, it's when you don't have time to just get on your knees and pray for 30 minutes. Most of the time, I never have time to do that. Nope, but Me neither. <laughs> you know, but to shoot up a flare prayer, just like, God, help me in this moment. Um, Oftentimes there will be something that will come up where it's a, uh, something that is a fairly urgent medical thing. Um, Recently, just out of the blue, he started vomiting blood. And we, you know, it was just in that moment of like, just crying out to God, like, do I need to call 911? Who do I, you know, and just what, what, what do I need in this moment? And, you know, God was so faithful because we had just called his complex care clinic a little while before, because we were just like, he's off today. Something's not right. Can you give us some um, input? We're not sure what to do. And they called us back right in the middle of when all this was going on. My husband had his phone in his hand. He was getting ready to dial 911 and they called and they were able to walk us through what we needed to do and what we needed to look for and everything. It was just so 
incredible to like see God's instant answer of right then because we didn't know what to do. And to just praying throughout my day and just inviting God in and asking for his strength and help and anticipating then how he is going to be faithful. And so that I'm looking for that and I see it more. So pray is number one. Second is to prioritize. And in the book, I talk about my six times two priority system, which is that I have six priority areas that I wrap my time in my life and my energy around right now in this season of life. And if I were to focus on all of those areas all at once, every single day, it would be overwhelming because there's just not enough time and enough of me to go around. So instead, I just focus on two. And so each day I focus on two priority areas, usually spending like an hour to an hour and a half in that specific area two areas, and then I rotate the areas that I focus on. And so that really allows me to be present. So whether it's, you know, a date night with my husband, because I'm prioritizing marriage that day, or it's spending extra time on a home organizing project, because I'm prioritizing the home that day, or whether it's a date with one of my kids or doing some special thing with one of my kids, um, or some appointment for me, because I'm prioritizing my health, whatever it is that I'm just going to focus on those two things, but then I'm going to rotate through my priority areas so that each area gets some intentional time throughout the course of a week and looking at my week as a whole instead of my individual days as, oh, I got to hit everything each day. And that just takes so much pressure off for me, but also allows me to be a lot more intentional and a lot more present. So that's number two. The third step is to plan. And in the book, I talk about my hybrid planning system. I use Google Calendar along with a handwritten time block to-do list. And so I brain dump everything that comes into my my head. Every Every night, right? Yeah. So, well, just yep. throughout the day, okay. as I'm thinking of something. So I need to call so-and-so. I want to work on that project. Oh, I need to order meds. I need to, you know, whatever it is that comes into my head, as it comes in, I just pull up my phone, open up Google Calendar and put it in as an all-day task for whatever day. So let's say it's, you know, I need to have it done in three days from now, I'll put it in two days from now. Or if I'm like, oh, I have time, I can put it on tomorrow, whatever. Just putting it in as all day tasks. So it's out of my head. Mm-hmm. I find that when we have so much swirling around in our head, it just weighs us down and makes us feel like life is overwhelming. But if we can just get it out of our head, but into a safe place, we have a lot more breathing room for our brain. And then you're able to just approach life with much more calmness and peace. And so then every night before I go to bed, I look at my Google calendar. I see what I have as all day tasks for the next day. And then I take those all day tasks and then turn them into a time block to-do list that is handwritten because I love to be able to mark things off. But also I find that there's, there's something about the act of actually handwriting that helps me to just think clearly through things. Um, But also I found with a time block to-do list, it keeps me from trying to shove in 37 hours worth of work in a 24-hour day. So that's what I used to do. I'd write this long to-do list and then I'd start the day and quickly feel so overwhelmed because I'd put too much on that list. I'm laughing because I have my (laughs) three to-do lists. I have like my daily one, my weekly one, my monthly one. (laughs) And I'm constantly pulling from from each of them to go on to the daily one. So yes, I operate very similarly. And so that's just been really helpful. I feel like Google Calendar is like my brain and for long-term and then 
my time block to do list is my brain on paper for just the short term for that day. And I just look at it and follow it. And then I don't have to think like, what's next? Or what do I need to do next? Or what do I need to remember? Right. And then the fourth step is to prep. And this is not only about prepping your physical spaces, as in I talk about a morning and an evening routine and just setting yourself up for success that way, but also mentally prepping because I feel so often we are held back by what we believe between our two years. You know, if we say, I can't do that. I don't have enough time. I'm not able to do that. I'm not good at that. If we just allow the negativity to be what we live out of, we're going to probably be stuck. But if instead we act as if we, you know, act as if you are organized, act as if, you know, this, however, act like you want to feel. And often the feelings are going to follow those actions. And so instead of sitting there and feeling so overwhelmed by all these things I need to do, and I'm just not an organized person, and I'm not good at any of this, get up and do the next thing and just start in. And the feelings will often follow. And maybe you're not going to be this amazingly organized person, but you're probably going to get a lot more done and be a lot more organized than if you just sat there and told yourself, I'm not good at this, and I'm not organized. So what would you say to the overwhelmed caregiver? Not what would you say? What one tip would you give to the overwhelmed caregiver who is swimming in that absolute chaos right now? What should she or he do immediately to try to get control of their life? I think that brain dumping can be one of the most valuable things. So just stopping I will find this is really helpful if I start feeling things swirling around. Now, I've created this system where I just have taught myself the habit of if it starts swirling in my brain, put it on Google Calendar. But if you don't have any system like that right now, just starting with take out a blank sheet of paper and just write everything that comes down, you know, everything you're worried about, you're thinking about, you need to do, you think you should do, you want to do, you want to remember, put it all out on paper. And a lot of times just doing that kind of your brain can then breathe. It's like, okay. And sometimes it's less than you think. Like you'll, you'll write it all out and you'll be like, oh, there's actually only 15 things. And five of these- I Mine is never probably, less than yeah. I think. It's always <laughs> like 500 things, not yeah. 15 things. You know, and so if it is, then I feel like then that's even helpful because you're like, oh, yes. wow. I do have a lot that's going on. And I find to be really helpful sometimes just going then to my husband. So if you have, you know, if you, you have a spouse that you are, you know, can go to, or maybe a friend or someone who can just, you bring your sheet to them and you're like, I'm super overwhelmed. This is everything in my brain right now. And I don't know what to do with all of this. Can you help me look through this? And oftentimes my husband will be like, well, I can do that. You don't need need to do that. You can hand that off to a child, you know, and just they can help you kind of be this outside perspective to process through what you can delete and what you can delegate. And then it'll help you kind of hone into, okay, then what do you just need to do next? Right. And focusing on that, because so often I feel like we get so bogged down by all the big picture things that we are kind of paralyzed to do the next thing. Mm -hmm. That's a good tip to go to your husband because I've done that before too, or I get angry first and he's like, I'm happy to help. Just tell me, I can't read your mind. And it's like, oh, right. Okay. So I have, you know, X, Y, and Z here. If you could put this on your to-do list for the week, that would be really helpful. And I think that's just a reminder to people out there. I think our spouses are happy to help, but again, they can't read our minds. 
So we like to talk about self-care on this podcast. How do you incorporate self-care into all of your strategies? I mean, you are just as busy as anybody. Are you able to incorporate self-care and what does this look like for you? Yeah. So this is something that's super important to me. I actually learned very much the hard way years ago that if you burn the candle at both ends, that is not a recipe for a lot of productivity. It's a recipe for exhaustion. And so um, one of the things that I very much prioritize is sleep and I have to get creative with that because right now with having three little ones and pretty much it's usually that I'm going to be woken up at least a few times in the night. That's just (laughs) normal. Um, And so it means that oftentimes I will go to bed when my little ones go to bed. And so I try to get seven hours of sleep. It's usually seven broken up hours, but just prioritizing like that's how much. So I need to be, you know, allow myself seven and a half to eight hours where I'm actually in the bed, you know, try because then hopefully I'm going to get the seven hours of sleep. And so really prioritizing that. And so I used to be someone who would get up really early in the morning and I've just found that I usually let myself wake up when my body wakes up. I try not to plan things if possible early in the morning. And so like nothing before 9 a.m. if I can, that way it just gives me some wiggle room to be able to not have to wake up until 6.30 or 7. Um, So that's one thing. And then the other thing for me that has been so helpful, um, there's a book by Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. It's called Sacred Rest. And she talks about the seven different types of rest. One of the types of rest is social rest. And when I read that book, I realized for me, being around life-giving people is super important. If I go through an entire week and I'm not really around life-giving people, I mean, I love my family and all that, but like getting outside to be with a friend, to go walk with a friend or go off coffee with a friend or just have somebody over for an hour, it just, I feel more drained. And so prioritizing that and working with my husband to prioritize that has been something that has made such a huge difference in my life. And so typically on a typical week, I will go out with a friend at least twice. And I that for a lot of people, that sounds like a lot, but I get creative in figuring out ways to make it happen. And a lot of times it'll just be an hour. We'll go take our double strollers and we'll go walk at the park. You know, it's not, yes, we're going to get some interruptions, but we're getting fresh air, we're getting sunshine and we're getting some conversation in. And so figuring out ways to make it work when you have a lot on your plate for me, I find that I am so much more fueled and um, have so much more energy than if I just am like, I don't have time for people and just try to plow through. I'm going to end up being a lot more exhausted. Are you a napper? I love, would love to be more now. <laughs> if you had um, time. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes on the weekend, um, I, or I will lay down with my 10 month old sometimes, um, and get in a short nap. And I found that even five or 10 minutes, like if I have a lot of stuff back to back to back, that is kind of emotionally draining, I will find that even just going and laying down, I'm nursing my 10 month old, um, almost 10 month old right now. And so, you know, sometimes I'll just like lay in my bed and nurse him and just take 10 minutes of just like, just breathe and not just close my eyes and just breathe. That can do wonders, even if you don't fall asleep. Yeah. And you're in a busy season of life. And I would say even recognizing it's not going to last forever. You know, you have little ones right now, but you'll blink and they'll be older and you'll be sleeping again, God willing, someday. (laughs) 
talk about that a lot. And I feel like having older ones kind of gives me that perspective that I didn't have when I just had my three older ones were little, because you just feel like you're going to be stuck in this for forever. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're never going to learn these things. And, um, and so it's helpful to know, like, this actually doesn't last for very long. We oftentimes, my husband and I will say how in two years from now, we're going to be in a completely different place. And so two years goes by very quickly. And so just to remind ourselves of that, and I, I like to remind moms who have young kids, I promise you, it feels like they're never going to be able to unbuckle themselves out of their car seat, you know, potty, go potty by themselves or something, but they are, you know, so hang on. Although once you get through it, then you enter perimenopause and then you don't sleep because of your own hormones. So like I had one year where I was sleeping after giving birth to my youngest. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, now I just don't sleep. Um, but that too shall pass, right? <laughs> well, we are running out of time today and I'm just so thankful that you joined me. I like to end each of my shows with three questions. The first question is, how has being a caregiver changed you? It has caused me to have so much more compassion for others. And also it has shown me how much I love and try to control every area of my life and how good it is when I can stop clinging to the illusion of control mm -hmm. and just living and being present in today. Yes. Surrender is a constant lesson that the Lord is teaching me as well. Second question, if you had one hour all to yourself, how would you spend it? Oh, um, I might sit there and try to figure out what I would do with that hour. No, <laughs> probably don't. <laughs> right. Um, I, I really, one of the things that I love is um, watching a good show. I typically like to do it with someone else. So like if my husband was available, like watching a good show with him, that's something that I love to do. Um, or I love to cook as well. So sometimes I don't get to just enjoy tinkering in the kitchen. And how many cups of coffee are you drinking these days? I actually do not drink regular coffee. I love regular coffee, but it does not love me. It causes my anxiety. So I only drink decaf and decaf lattes are what I have settled for. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they buy your books? Everything you have going on. So I love to hang out on Instagram. I'm the money saving mom on Instagram. I like to share behind the scenes of our life, great deals, and just encouraging people to love their life and live with intention. And also if you like great deals, my website is called moneysavingmom.com. And your books are everywhere. Yes. And I also have a um, site called timesavingmom.com. So if you want to sign up for just my really quick time saving strategies, email newsletter um, that comes out every weekend. And so that's at timesavingmom.com. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us today on Coffee with Caregivers. And if you'd like to be considered as a guest for a future episode, please reach out at jess at thelucasproject.org. And as always, let's do what we do best. Just keep living. <laughs>